welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 27. My name is Philip Wells, and I will be your host for this episode. Today, we begin with Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 1, 15-17, set apart from birth. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. NIV 1984 Paul continues to defend his gospel. This will occupy a fair share of this letter. Paul's gospel is God's work, a work planned in eternity. At first glance, it ought to strike us that the apostle was set apart from birth. What we see in Acts is a young life devoted to the destruction of the gospel. He does not appear very set apart. But an eternal plan is at work. Long before the call of of, of grace was effective in this sinful heart, God had set his sights on Paul. This same line of thinking is found in the writing of Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah reports God's words to him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. These hidden plans of God to use sinful vessels like Paul and Jeremiah give us cause to think about God's work in the world. God's grace will find its objects. God will fill heaven. His work in setting apart apostles and prophets has a purpose beyond the Pauls and Jeremiahs of Scripture or the pastors of our day. In Paul's case, it was this. God was pleased to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In Jeremiah, it was the nations. How similar are these plans, this grace, the call to serve, It is true enough that the children of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob held a special place of God in God's heavenly plans. But even in the Old Testament, God was seeking the elect from the nations, from the Gentiles. In Paul's day, his plans come into sharper focus. Paul is not saved only for his own sake. He is the first of a long line of apostles in the broad sense of that word, sent out to bring the message of grace to Gentile, non-Jewish nation. That line runs through Jan Hus, Martin Luther, C.F.W. Walther of the LCMS, the Walwatosa theologians who framed the truths preached in the pulpits of the wells, and many, many others. We may not know all of God's plans, but we know that people are set apart for his gracious purpose long before that purpose is clear to human eyes. God indeed has a purpose for each Christian. As Luther says, If we're only to save you that God brings you to faith, he ought to take you from this life to heaven immediately after your baptism. We do not need to spend a lot of time delving into God's secret plans for us. We have what we need in the word. God loved the world with the love that sent his only son to take away the guilt that leads to hell. The God who hates all doers of iniquity, sinners, sent Jesus to bear that hatred, to wash it away in a fountain filled with blood. God's hatred, the law, and his love, the gospel, intersect at the cross. 
This plan is made clear in the words of Paul's epistles. But that Paul should go to the nations, to the Gentiles, that was a mystery that unfolded in the early history of the Christian church. Paul's calling and salvation was a shocking development. All this because God set apart from birth the great apostle to the Gentiles. We are God's children because of this very plan, this work, this apostle and his inspired words. This was and is God's eternal plan. And now we listen to Koine singing, Salvation Unto Us Has Come.
Next up, we have our Canaan Bound Devotion with Pastor Tom Barthel. Single-sided, seal of the covenant. We read from Genesis 15, verses 17 to 21. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kedamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gerashites, and Jebusites. Abram had asked for assurance from God. First God instructed him to set up a covenant. Then he gave Abram the promised terms of the covenant, how he would deliver Israel from slavery in a foreign land and give them riches and possession of Canaan. Then he carries out the covenant procedure in front of Abram. Only the initiation of the covenant, its signing, if you will, is altogether different from any other Abram had ever witnessed. Abram had set out the carcasses of the sacrificed animals. In his day, and for many hundreds of years afterwards, a covenant was sealed this way with blood. Two parties would pass between the remains of slaughtered animals, and the expression of the covenant was made. The understanding was that the one who broke the covenant was to be treated like one of the slaughtered animals. It was a solemn oath that one made with their life on the line and God as witness. But what do we see as it grows dark? Abram has received the terms of the covenant. His descendants don't have to do anything. They simply have to wait until God gives them the land he promised. He told them the waiting would be long and hard. But he told them he would surely give them what was promised. They would get it, not on the basis of what they did or how hard they worked or what they earned. They would receive the promised blessing only because God would be faithful. That is what Abram now witnesses. Abram is not made to pass between the carcasses to seal the covenant. Rather, he only sees a blazing torchlight passing between them. The unseen God who made himself known in the past and in the future and now makes himself known by a blazing torch. Later it will be a burning bush. Later it will be a pillar of fire. God now passed through the covenant for the agreement. It was a one-sided agreement. God himself was the witness, and God himself would hold the covenant true. There was no need for Abram to participate. It was a one-sided covenant. God operates in this way when it comes to his promise of blessing for us. His promises are all centered and must be by grace. The people of Israel couldn't earn the promised land. In fact, they were rather unfaithful in so many different ways. They would have broken all aspects of a covenant and never would have been brought out of Egypt. But God made a promise. Despite their sinfulness, he kept his promise. This is the same type of covenant he has made with all of us. There is a single-sided seal to his covenant of forgiveness. There is a single-sided agreement between us. He doesn't tell you, if you do this, then I will bless you. He doesn't say, don't break this covenant or you will never be part of the one who receives my blessing. Rather, he says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus who kept that covenant. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer, must die, must rise again. Why must? It was necessary, not because we kept any end of the deal, 
but because he had made a covenant, promise, a promise made in grace. This covenant is repeated, this one given to Abram, repeated several times in the book of Exodus. The list of nations here is meant to drive out all doubt. The people of Israel were to know this is what God has promised. God wanted the people of Israel to look to his word and remember his covenant with them, his single-sided covenant, which he would keep in grace. Repeat God's covenant promise for yourself today. Repeat the list of promises that you find in Scripture that are yours from Him only through grace. God will bring you to be with Him forever. God has taken away your sin. The Lord God does and will continue to always watch over you. God does and will hear your prayers and answer. God will restore your body to health forever. God will shepherd you with His love forever. God will give you His promised rest. He's made a covenant. He's promised. And now it's time for God's Word for You with Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 8, verses 1 to 7. The chapter begins, Then Bildad the Shuhite replied. This is Job's second friend, Bildad, and he was the son or a descendant of Shua. Shua was Abraham's son through his second wife, Keturah. Uh, we learn about the, uh, learn about this in Genesis 25. Bildad will focus our attention more on tradition and the wisdom of specific people like one's ancestors or elders uh, 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 more than uh, Eliphaz did. Verse 2. How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Eliphaz began his speech politely, but Bildad just lumbers in and calls Job a windbag. Blustering wind. Verse, uh, what are we up to here? Verse 3. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty uh, pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So like Eliphaz, Bildad feels that it's necessary to remind Job of his dead children. His arguments are well constructed, but they don't really convince anything or anyone. To Bildad, it couldn't just have been Job who sinned, but it had to be his children, all ten of them, who must have committed sins, uh, meriting a special punishment from God, and that's why they died. So if Job wants to avoid a similar fate, he'd better you know, shape up. Well, Job had been concerned about his children's sins before any of this took place. We saw in the very first chapter that Job sacrificed as spiritual leader and priest of his family, he sacrificed on behalf of his children, not knowing whether they sinned or not. So Bildad's argument here was answered before it even left his lips. Verses 5 to 7. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place your beginnings will seem humble. So prosperous will your future be. Bildad wants Job to plead with God. We also see in passing that Bildad has called God by the title the Almighty, which in Hebrew is Shaddai, something that Job and each of his friends occasionally do. Shaddai is related to the Hebrew terms uh, Shad, or demon, and Shod, which means defiance or destruction. We see that word in Isaiah 22.4. The longer personal term Shaddai is not simply the deity, as many uh, lexicons or Hebrew dictionaries say, but really it's the all-powerful, the almighty. 
This is the exact meaning of the Greek translation, which is Pantokrator, the all-powerful one. This is the same title we find for God in Revelation 21:22, The Lord God Almighty, in Greek, Pantokrator. Bildad's words in verse 7 will turn out to be true in the end, but not for the reasons Bildad has given. His prophecy has no more validity than the ravings of Nostradamus or the plagiaries of Joseph Smith. Let's do, for the right reason, what Bildad argues for the wrong reason. Let's set our sins before God and beg his forgiveness, because his forgiveness is everything to us. It restores us to him, makes us his own. His forgiveness gives us all the blessings he holds out to us, and he holds us in his righteous and loving hands. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. We close out today with the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Chapel singing, Jesus Shall It Ever Be.
Once again, you have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 27. This episode was first shared in June of 2013. Once again, my name is Philip Wells, and it was my privilege to be your host for this episode. Please visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to learn how you can support the Ministry of the Wells as well as the artists featured here on this podcast. We encourage you to visit Wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.